You know, I guess what I failed to mention, uh, we went, you know, a little Mother's Day lunch in San Juan Batista. I guess that's, we walked by the mission. That's where Vertigo was filmed, I guess. Oh, I shit. For, I always forget that every time I go there. Because that's, that's actually really close by. That's like a 25-minute drive away. But uh, shout out to, I forgot the guy who started the mission project, but shout out to that guy. A lot of cool missions <laughs> around, <laughs> around, around California. <laughs> I know it's not cool to say that anymore, but uh, I remember. No, the like, missions are cool. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they remember, look neat. Did you guys have to do mission projects in elementary school where you built a model of a mission? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was just about to say something like that. I keep stealing your thunder, man. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, I was just saying, like, I went, like, it was randomly assigned, and mine was like San Rafael mission, not a very mm-hmm. popular mission. And um, my mom was definitely, you know, Mother's Day. Um, my mom was th- thankful, you know, she was good enough to bring me to the mission. It was like a two hour drive away. And like, I don't think she had ever been to San Rafael either. And it was just like a town full of like banks. Like it was just <laughs> like, it was just like banks and like, uh, and there's like, just, it was like the most, it was very like Silicon Valley, I guess. But like, I didn't realize that yet. And, uh, and it, there was just a mission in between and the mission was basically just a gift shop. So well, the mission, that's where you praise God to kind of, like, wash away your financial sins. I guess that's, like, the one bastion, the last bastion of traditional culture in that uh, financial area. Must be. True. Must, must I be. Must mean, be. Must be. I don't know. You the know? money. These money. I, I these money. wrong about this. <laughs> I don't associate greed with Catholicness, but I guess, I guess it is true. You know, you got, like, the Pope wearing designer shoes and whatnot, you know. They're stashing the, the money. It's the religion. <laughs> it kind of is. And it, it kind of it kind of disguises itself. Because as much as, like, you know, the Catholics get flack, it's usually not for greed, mm-hmm. you know. But, but hey. <laughs> but hey, what do I, I know? Think, wait. Yeah, there's I some mean, good Catholics out there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, some of them got greedy, took a little too many of the young boys under their wings. But some of them... <laughs> Good yeah, guy. if they only solid dudes, if they didn't molest as much kids, that really, I think there's like a line there where it's like you forgive and forget, but hey, they got greedy. Yeah, true. It just it went on for too long. That's because like when people stopped caring about religion, they're like, wait a second, my son's being you know blanked or whatever. What now? <laughs> but but like when they had that hold over the community, like. You know, they should have they should have recognized their own power, I guess. I don't know. We're talking we're talking like you know, like uh like we have stake in the empire, but I like this, man. We're figuring it out. <laughs> when the Catholics should have is... stopped. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. They should have given it up years ago. I mean you saw the Dropman's contract. Dude, being yeah. Catholic is working class, dude. It's a. Uh... <laughs> It's uh, compared to the yeah. aristocracy, the Protestant aristocracy. <laughs> well, that's <laughs> Jesus. That's a good transition, as I should put the greens away to talk about P 
Peter Greenaway's fiction debut, The Droughtsman's Contract, uh, as our very casual Rogan-esque intro, uh, <laughs> surrounded by pot smoke and incoherent <laughs> thoughts about major institutions, leads us into our more specific extended clip after hours episode about Peter Greenaway's 1982 film, as I said, The Droughtsman's Contract. Malcolm, why why did we choose this? There there's been a bit of a trend, and this was the trend bucker. Whoa, whoa, whoa what's the <laughs> thinking here? Yeah, well, I mean, we did a lot of sports movies, and you know, I feel like maybe a lot of the listeners they're not they're not watching sports like that, and you know, maybe we're being a little greedy and we're kind of like you know giving into you know what we want to do or whatever. So we know that you love art. That's why you subscribe to the podcast. So. Why not make not why might we should make a podcast about a movie that's about an artist. So that was kind mm. of the logical thinking there. Okay, okay. JT, <laughs> do you does that check out by yeah, you? Yeah, maybe maybe the film about an artist is like kind of an art film too. Hmm. Oh, wow. Hmm. And the film about an athlete was kind of a sports film? <laughs> it doesn't mean the same thing, but you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If we're going by the you know the logic I put forth, I think yeah, we do have to say that. <laughs> but this film was kind of inspired by Peter Greenaway's own time as an artist. Uh, he was on this hoity-toity vacation with his fancy boy family, and uh, he, much like the Droughtsman in this movie. Uh, was drafting some drawings of a house that they stayed in over the course of a couple of weeks. And, you know, the guy grows up, he learns a little bit about love and the cinema, and he turns over the Droughtsman's contract to Channel 4, I think it was, uh, who funded this. And what do you get? You get this insane, slightly, like, anachronistic but ridiculously detailed period piece uh, that feels more indebted to the style of art about those periods uh, rather than the periods themselves, especially the films of, about those periods, like uh, something like Barry Lyndon even. And you get, you know, this this Michael Nyman music behind it. And he's, you know, done uh, the... I don't want to call them anachronistic, but he's done more contemporary scores for classic silent films that have been established as like, that's the soundtrack for that film, even though it was, you know, decades later. So in terms of history and contemporary art, it all kind of falls into one big bucket in Peter Greenaway's film here. And uh, he dips his brush into that bucket and... Uh, throws a bunch of shit at flings it at the canvas a bunch of times and most of the time it looks fucking sick yeah that i feel like echoes my experience with like other green away works it's like the man love him or hate him true blue art guy and like all of like zen to knots uh prospero's books like they both have that like very painterly composition where each image is just like just blows you out of the water there. Um, and like the information and things being relayed in the frame is like always so precise. And I feel like creates these cold but like hyper specific worlds 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I feel like the setting he's working with here, this is Victorian England, right? Or just, let's just say Old England, because I yeah, don't know history. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, old English. Old, old England. Old, old England. <laughs> I mean, his style, his visual style, you know, like you guys both echoed, I mean, this guy is, you know, great at composition. And it's a lot of his visual style is focused, you know, into that. But it also, like, given, like, the setting and kind of the tone that follows, it all feels really appropriate with like what's going on here. Kind of like a, you have this stuffy English manner and like all these people kind of uh, roaming around trying to fuck each other over. You know, it's kind of like th- these uh, these detailed images kind of can feel cold with like kind of the precision, uh, you know, he, he crafts within these images, but it, it kind of matches everyone else in the movie. Yeah, I, I was honestly kind of intimidated at first. It opens at this party, which I read that this initial scene that plays out, uh, the, the opening credits are kind of interspersed over this opening party scene where people are just shouting nonsense, like supposedly period appropriate. I don't know. It sounds like they're <laughs> reading like the insults from the Shakespeare books that like the nerds in your class laughed at. Like, it's just like, I don't know really what's going on. It's the the patterns of speech are funny and you, you get the... The, uh, the the tonal inflections and the, the rhythms uh, rather than like the actual turns of phrase meaning really much to me. <laughs> but I was pretty intimidated by it because there's all these turns of phrases and stuff that I'm just like truly mystified by. I don't know what they're talking about, honestly. Apparently that scene was 30 minutes long in the original cut that Greenway Holy handed over. Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, there's some stuff I feel like that scene more than any I had to pay attention to understand. But there's some yeah. like great like uh, jokes like uh, that woman tells like a pretty dirty joke about pissing mm. in a bunch of buckets. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. In, like in a room part. filled with buckets. <laughs> yeah. And uh, at the end of that joke, she says, like, uh, I used to pee like a horse and I still do. <laughs> Which is great. That's just the the Mitch Hedberg drug dealer joke uh, or drugs joke, uh, but uh, applied to peeing like a horse. Yeah, that, that's uh, but, going to make a Jankum joke there, but that doesn't really work. <laughs> <laughs> um. But in that opening scene, it also gets you used to the style. And a lot of this is kind of low light, candle lit, kind of Barry Lyndon style, uh, heavy on the film grain, even using candles like to foreground characters. There's some really weird perspective shots uh, in this opening scene where characters' faces are like dwarfed by candles that are on the other end of the table, kind of. And it's just like... I don't know, Greenaway's right away showing you that he's got all these tricks up his sleeves, but he's going to uh, play his cards, I guess, close to his chest. He's going to he's gonna dole out the style slowly and subtly. And you, it is a film where you do really have to pay attention, not just narratively, but to get the aesthetic game that he's playing mm-hmm. as well. I mean, also just I think like... Narratively, it's like... It's pretty broad narratively. Like you kind of, yeah. you, you could you could miss some dialogue and get what happens. You know, uh, it, it, there's obviously details that you're missing, but uh, I, I think that more than anything, just in terms of composition, rhythm, uh, his very selective use of camera movement, and the relationship between his camera's frame and the framing of the drafting uh, is just like there's just so much going on there. I mean, yeah, the way like this movie's written, I mean, maybe some of that has to do with maybe like the re-edit 
that you were kind of discussing earlier but like it is it is broad but it also it is it is like it, it doesn't really let you get you know any sort of personal with these characters it kind of scenes kind of like move fast at a brisk pace and like you know will occasionally kind of like a comedic cut you know to the next scene or something like that but it is like it like uh greenway does keep you at a distance and you know i think it, like i said it works with this but like it, it it did take me a while to kind of uh hop on to this rhythm because uh you know at first you know it's kind of like um, going in the style of like, you know, this is the first angle of the house that he's drawing. And then the second, and it kind of, um, you know, just uh, avoids that or just doesn't do that in the middle. Then it kind of gets back to it. It is, it is an interestingly structured movie in a way where it kind of matches the visual style. Yeah. And I mean, again, to like go back to that, like cold and detached, like visual style and how it relates to like the, um, the film, like the the content on display of the narrative, I think a lot of what is really appealing to me about Greenaway is this like very cheeky kind of ironic sense of humor mm-hmm. and like knowing the juxtaposition of like highbrow sort of lowbrow shit. And I mean, like all of his the other movies I've seen of his are like completely sex obsessed and just like I don't know that like. I don't know. He minds a lot of comedy from that. I mean, I think the the central part of the contract being he gets to lay some pipe is really fun. <laughs> well, that's the thing. The distinction between there's multiple contracts that are drawn up in this movie, whether he gets to or has to lay pipe. Yeah, exactly. The distinction in multiple contracts. <laughs> and I think that's what's part of the ironic humor that may have been lost on me at a younger age and maybe even just in a worse mood. Uh, but I found it very playful. Uh, just the fact that it's a movie about an artist negotiating a contract for work that includes sex. Like that's just very <laughs> funny to me. And that's the titular contract is that, you know, he has to have sex with the lady whenever she wants or whatever. Uh, so basically that's, that's the setup of the movie. Uh, this guy has to, <laughs> uh, Monsieur, what, what's his name? Uh, Neville. Yeah. Neville. Yeah. He, he has to, you know, He's, he's going to draw 12 pictures of this giant estate. Uh, and the man of the house, he's away somewhere. And uh, the lady of the house has commissioned this. And her daughter is there with her daughter's uh, husband. And a, a uh, extramarital affair kind of begins to brew between the, the droughtsman and uh, the, the daughter uh under the nose of both like the mother who has employed him both for drawings and sex and you know the the young girl's husband and after you know that tension kind of guides uh the procedural element of him uh, I'm so sorry. I was describing the plot, and my neighbors just like made eye contact with me outside my window. Like they walked by. <laughs> I'm describing the plot of this movie. They just like lock eyes. I'm like, what are you doing? What? Go away. They want to get on the pod. Eyes. Well, yeah. I, mean, <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I got I got to air the apartment out. It's a little stinky, and it's just like they, I'm working. I'm working here. I'm working here. <laughs> I don't come to your job and bother you. Oh, also, I wanted to. Isn't the initial contract the one where it's uh, 
she is available at Mr. Neville's demands. Yes, like that's that for is, his that pleasure. is in the contract, which is like part of his pay is that he can satisfy himself with her mm-hmm. whenever. And then, you know, as the film goes on, he develops a second contract with the young girl uh, who is married. And her contract stipulates that whenever she would like to be pleased, he must oblige yeah. her. And so uh, around all of this is a murder mystery you don't say uh, <laughs> there's a man who's missing and then there's a body that's fished out of the water when there's a body you know there's trouble and the contract becomes null and void because uh they were for the man of the house anyway right and so mm-hmm. the, they come to an agreement for him to like leave essentially because it seems like they couldn't get enough of a good case to frame him for the murder Am I right there? That that's why it just kind of ends in a standstill, and then he comes back uh, for that kind of prologue where she employs him again for one more drawing and one more mm-hmm. fuck sesh, uh, where he learns the bitter truths that he's really just been employed for his coxmaning skills and uh, to to spawn an heir to the throne or whatever, or an heir to the an heir to the estate rather, I guess. And so it's a pretty. Pretty bitter ending. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, this is a pretty bitter movie. It's like, all you know, as obsessed yeah. with uh, sex as Peter Greenway is, he doesn't seem to like it very much. Um, it's, it's all very, <laughs> like, uh, very, I mean, maybe that's what he's into. I don't know. But, like, it's, you know, all the sex scenes are very unpleasant. All the kind of discussions between people are very either unpleasant or contractual or something like that. There's no kind of... Uh, casual ribbing here you know no uh, no time to shoot the shit uh, and it's like um I, I i uh just it is it is funny hearing like these english insults like uh you know having to do with like uh you know calling people like catholic or whatever or just like whatever like a true englishman and you know i can't say i exactly um i'll get it but it is like kind of like the customs that go on within the house i mean just even the fact like the way they drop contracts is very funny to me kind of like that guy i forgot his name but one of the guys in the house just in the middle while like they're drawing up a sex contract you know pretty pretty juicy stuff what a what an exciting job for him but uh speaking of guys uh one of the guys (laughs) that is featured is the yeah the the living statue oh that Uh, guy rules that is my fate like I thought that he was going to play into the murder mystery kind of mm-hmm. because at first it was like a jump scare almost like it's they're having this beautiful outdoor candlelit dinner and then Greenaway pulls back and I guess the film speed is like just fast enough because the frame is so dark and filled with film grain but you barely see this guy uh, painted all over uh, in dark paint <laughs> but there wasn't you know cultural <laughs> things like that in 1600s right i, I don't know let's 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 consult the history experts you know give us a corrections corner next episode <laughs> pawn stars blackface expert coming in <laughs> jesus <laughs> Uh-huh. Yeah, this looks like a 1700s blackface job. Completely <laughs> anachronistic for the 1600s movie. <laughs> and I was just about to sell this to my local flea market. Good thing oh, I yeah. It here. Well, you're, you're, this is tw- $12 at most for this piece. 
<laughs> oh, that like there's an antique store near where I work, and there's like a big section of it that's just like racist art, like from old South, like Mammy style stuff. And it's like, why do you have this? Like, who's who's buying this, man? Not, I don't know. I'm not saying you know. I'm not saying get it all out of the store, but don't have a section for it. Yeah, scatter them around the store. Come on, come on, man. <laughs> Just imagining the the scene in Uncut Gems where Adam Sandler goes to the broker and instead of the KG championship ring, just a ring with like a horribly offensive drawing on it. <laughs> yeah. just, like, just a racist cereal box. Do you want do you want a shell or do you want a pawn it? <laughs> anyway, I'm sorry to get so goofy about this. Uh I was gonna say serious movie, but it's not. It's very a goofy movie with a serious presentation, I guess, but a playful presentation and the thing you said about true Englishmen, uh, there, there is a German character who, you know, uh, that they clown on how bad his English is, but then shit gets real when the accusation gets thrown around that, like, you know, who cares about being a real Englishman? There's no re- such thing as a real English painter. And that's some things that we hear about the English cinema sometimes. Yeah. Uh, that, that English filmmaker is even a contradictory uh, term. Well, you know, that's that got me thinking, right? Because, of course, you can't help think of all the criticism of British filmmaking when you hear, yeah. you know, the British painter stuff. And you bring in this information to this table that um, Greenway used to be a painter himself, you know, Maybe since Neville's like the only cool guy there, right? Like he's, you know, cucking and, uh, you know, at the dinner table, he's holding court. He's throwing out disses. Maybe Greenway yeah. kind of sees himself as like, you know, the the savior of British cinema or, you know, the painter, <laughs> you know, the, the painter. Like I could be the painter. Well, that brings, I got to say, there is there yeah. is some pretty highbrow and just like out there shit going. Like my only British filmmakers I really like even – we're all operating at a pretty high level at this point in time. Like now I'm adding Greenaway to this list just from this movie. It's that great. Uh, but like Terrence Davies, the one that I've seen from him was uh, a few years after this. Uh, I guess this is, this predates both of those, but like the, what I've seen from Terrence Davies and the late eighties into early nineties Clark stuff, mm-hmm. uh, which also was, uh, I believe for the same channel that Greenaway got commissioned for this. Uh, it, it seems like it is almost a response to, like, Britain being the the nation of European cinema that was completely left behind after the studio era. Like, uh, the, there's, like, the Antonioni movies that he made over there. There's other foreign guys that make British movies once in a while. But uh, the, the, sometimes you got to put your foot on the ground, say, I'm a real deal artist, and this is my thing. I mean, in terms of the interviews and things I've read, like, pieces i've read with greenway speaking he does he is one of those like old timey ass motherfuckers where it's like i don't know if his politics are necessarily conservative but like he one would hasten to guess <laughs> he's like one of those guys that's like painting is like real art like there there are only a handful of like filmmakers i respect uh he's one of those types of guys which is like hey if you're doing it right good for you Dude, him and Whit Stillman in the group <laughs> chat with all their painter friends. <laughs> I could, I could sharing see, ryeball anecdotes. <laughs> I could see Greenway fucking stomping on Stillman in the group chat, dude. I That's could, the yeah. anti-extended <laughs> clip. It's you. You throw in a third like hoity-toity guy in the mix. Yeah, exactly. You get fucking Greenway just like 
going some 800 word nonsense calling Whit Stillman a dog in some way. (laughs) Eight fire reacts from all of their weird highbrow (laughs) English guys. Martin Donovan's in there. (laughs) Martin Donovan, what a good follow on Twitter. I'm kind of learning that. uh... If anyone doesn't follow Martin Donovan, it's a great follow. Exposing a lot of COVID fraud that's going on out there. I I wasn't exactly uh, um, hip to it, but I guess, you know, you live and learn. Oh, geez. Well, to get back to kind of the meat of this movie, I think what I love the most about it is the kind of procedure of drawing, the, the why we watch it in the first place, the life of the artist. We see so much through the kind of viewfinder thingy that he uses. I don't know what it's called. I've never been a drawer. Uh, you see my pictures that I draw? I can't, uh, can't even do a fire truck. Uh, but... He, he has whatever that kind of viewfinder he looks through, uh, the, the comparisons between how the camera captures these landscapes and the landscapes that the character chooses uh, are always very interesting. And also, like, when, he's, when his servant that uh, works for him while he's drawing is asked to clear the landscape, as it's called, and Greenway shows you what it looks like before with people, and it's like a beautiful shot with, like, three people working in the garden, and it's like really a balanced composition and he's just like clear the landscape get these fuckers out of here let me paint it as you know pl- blank as i can and of course the little imperfections uh, are what add up to a mystery whether it's an item of clothes being laid out somewhere or a ladder uh leading up to a window in one of the drawings and uh yeah i think greenaway just kind of like places all these visual cues all over the place uh letting you kind of run with them as you will as well as just basking in the imagery the exteriors especially the stuff that you could tell is like very early at morning and just like filled with thick fog kind of compared to the those beautiful sunny shots when he's drawing you know the perfect weather that he asked for uh, it's it's really just such a pleasant film to look at. One thing I remembered with the you know the the walking uh, statue man, the living statue, you know, pretty wacky stuff. I, I did enjoy it, and I, I did kind of think it was gonna you know come into the plot. I guess that is kind of like Greenway does kind of operate in a postmodern mode, at least from what I've seen. And that kind of that statue guy kind of is like a cherry on top to that type of temperament. But like I thought, like the way um, when when the daughter's kind of like arranging the the, the contract with uh, Neville, like I thought that the, like the like you know talking about the missing item of clothes and whatnot, I was like, I th- you know I thought like the whole mystery would lead to like the reveal of the statue man or whatever or that the yeah statue- exactly yeah, yeah. <laughs> or that the statue man was like the man you know uh, the the husband the man of the house you know actually you know sneaking around or whatever but it. You know, it's just a guy who does some some weird stuff sometimes. <laughs> yeah, especially that first shot of him when he's just like perched on top of them having dinner. That is just mm-hmm. so sinister. And then he scares a little girl at one point, which was very funny. <laughs> <laughs> and you also see his dick for like half of his appearances, like very like prominently in the frame. Yeah, I wanted There's a lot to of talk- nudity in this movie. Yeah, <laughs> Greenway yes. has like I know you're itching to talk about the nudity. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like it's interesting because it relates to sort of what you were saying Malcolm earlier where he is like definitely like sex obsessed but like really sexless and a lot of Greenaway films have just sort of like vacant nudity there where it's not like 
he's not eroticizing any of it. I mean, a lot of the sex is, I mean, towards the beginning with like when the contract is, she has to pleasure him. A lot of it feels very non-consensual. I mean, it like develops into, into a more consensual relationship, but even then it's just like cold and vacant nudity. He doesn't, really try to sleaze up or eroticize any of that even in like uh, movies i've seen like zen to knots that are more mm-hmm. like explicitly sexual in nature it is he still keeps that distance and i feel like it i, I don't know it definitely makes things funnier at times like when the um daughter's uh, husband is sort of like interrogating <laughs> him about like what you you had the ladder there like that means you're fucking her like honestly the the sexual innuendo humor feels like Frasier to me <laughs> <laughs> and I, that is a high compliment oh yeah uh, though w- when he's like fucking uh criticizing everyone at the party for some reason and uh he he says to the woman who has her nipple showing for so like he he reveals her nipple by like taking away like a scarf or something to reveal that her dress is just completely like half nipple out he's like i see you you study the italian style of fashion uh, it's just like what okay <laughs> Damn, that'd be sick if Frazier did something like that, to be honest. Yeah, it's like X-rated uh, Frazier. <laughs> X-rated Frazier, unfortunately, is just any time the cameras were off during that production. <laughs> yeah, just unzipping David Hyde Pierce's trousers. <laughs> Giles? <laughs> uh, the, the stuff with like the cucked husband... Is pretty fun, or that that scene, or whatever, because I I really do like that scene because, and maybe this is something he does in other scenes, but I noticed it especially in this one where, you know, Greenway scene start. Let's plant the camera in this one place. Won't touch it. Not going to touch it. And uh, you know, the scene kind of starts with like the couple kind of fighting, kind of closer to the camera, and as you know, you know, you get your uh, you go through the motions of an argument, and people move to different places, and then like they're like pretty far away from the camera and you just kind of get like this back and forth where like the husband's, um, you know, being like, you know, you're, you're cheating on me or whatever in like old English talk. And then she's like, well, you have a small penis. Your penis doesn't work. Like everything he says, he's just like, well, your penis doesn't work and it's small. And it's it's like, God damn it. I wish I could, I wish I could, uh, I wish I could say you were exaggerating, but it's like, it's so funny. It's like it takes her fifty words to say it, but that is all she's saying. The argument is your penis doesn't work. Your penis doesn't work. Your penis doesn't work. She's just finding new ways to say it. It's so good. You it's can't. There funny. really is no retort back from that one. You just gotta be. God damn it. <laughs> so when. He realizes that he's kind of being framed for murder. I also love uh, how Greenaway reverses what we usually see. Uh, Instead of seeing through that frame out at what he's drawing, we then see the reverse of it. Uh, And he and the daughter are being, you know, quote unquote, framed uh, by this little viewfinder thing that he uses. And meanwhile, you know, uh, figuratively speaking, he is being framed. He is being set up uh, as the daughter is kind of unraveling this or spinning this yarn of murder mystery that lightly implies him. (laughs) 
I also like how loosely connected all the murder mystery stuff is in this. It's so just like leaps and bounds. Uh, like there is a body, sure, but there's <laughs> nothing else concrete. Sorry, I'm watching so many police procedurals lately. You know that that's the way my brain works. When I realized it was a murder mystery, I was like, all right, uh, who, which detectives are we sending out there? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, expect like a. I got just three fat... units back up. <laughs> where's the fat bald guy to like? <laughs> yeah, gonna... where's Chickless? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Michael Chickless. Chickless would have would have wrapped the situation up pretty quickly. <laughs> Let's be honest. Bring Chickless in. This movie's twenty minutes. <laughs> Absolutely true, dude. Vic Mackey, although, despite. What Jason said about Vic Mackey's size on our last episode, I think yeah. he would have no problem running through the members of oh. his cast that are slightly taller than him. <laughs> yeah, those frail motherfuckers. I mean, I, I, it's like I think a domino would knock him over or something. Not to not to shit talk. I'm in shit talk mode. I will shit talk. <laughs> I don't want to disrespect the British here. I mean, they already get enough flack. I don't want to be part of the problem. But as we said, after the murder case is kind of a dead end, he returns out of his curiosity for how the woman's doing. It's so funny. He's like, I'm just curious how you're doing. Just, just checking in. And so they draw up another contract for him to do one more drawing and to have sex with her one more time as he brought three pomegranates with him uh, to offer her. And then she spins some yarn about some classical tale of, you know, the, the Hades using pomegranates. And he's like, ah, oh, the metaphorical fruit. <laughs> no, he says uh, the symbolic fruit. That's the line. But I love just how tortured he is saying that line. Just, ah, oh, the symbolic fruit. <laughs> you know, it's, it's kind of revealed like that these, uh, the mom and the daughter were, you know, both having sex with him to kind of, you know, uh, secure inheritance or whatever. But at the same time, and, you know, maybe I think a little bit different if I'm back then. But it is like, it's like, oh, well, like, you know what I mean? It's like, what else am I yeah. going to do? Like, it is yeah. like life well lived, you know, you can kill well, me now. up until the next part. Yeah, I, I yeah. Think, no, I think it's not life. Well, I think it's OK. Like if it was like, OK, on to the next one. But instead, True. you just get these like eyes wide shut motherfuckers, like all the all the British dudes who are not even disguised. They can they, they don't disguise their voices. So the German guy's talking. and It's such a good bit. The dude's like, yeah, I know it's you. You didn't disguise your voice at all. You're just wearing the mask over your eyes. <laughs> no. It, it, and, oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, like, I, I, you know, the main character's temperament, you know, kind of maybe, you know, the equivalent of an 80s action star within that setting, you know, kind of yeah. still running his mouth, even though, you know, there's five men in masks, you know, with torches coming them, you know, to burn his eyes out. But, you know, yeah, you got to you got to talk your shit to the end. Yeah. So they uh, they burn his drawings and beat him to death after like gouging out his eyes and like fucking uh it's it's more brutal than i expected for uh the the rest of the movie in comparison where it's like you know as lurid as you'll get is just references to sex and some nudity and you know uh even like the sex scenes themselves he's always obscuring in some way like the scene where he's like going down on the the wife while talking to her like he you know i guess coming up for air his end of the conversation but she's talking to him while uh he he's going down on her but like neither person is really visible it's mainly a shot out the window and uh all that stuff 
works for me in a way that I'm surprised that it does because it's like dry cheeky sex humor like doesn't seem like my bag and mm-hmm. same with the dry you know old-timey English period piece usually not my bag but I think Greenaway's style and the comedic approach which is of course so aided by the terrific performances by everyone in like the lead cast pretty much uh really makes this work for me like i i was pretty blown away by this i think it's a great movie yeah i feel like the the armand white better than comparison <laughs> that i would make here would be uh 2018's the favorite which just Absolutely. really fucking sucked and i mean it's mm-hmm. like it's going for like kind of a similar thing where it's like i totally agree with you eddie it's like even though I've already like thoroughly invested in Greenaway shit at this point, like going into this, I was like, I don't know, like doing like cheeky English shit, like with uh, like a, a sort of contemporary sensibility. How am I going to feel about this? But it's yeah, Greenway really backs it up with the real chops where he makes a beautiful looking picture out of this. And just uh, I don't know, it's actually really fucking funny, too. No, yeah. I mean, this is like, like you guys said, like, you know, not usually my type of, you know, movie necessarily, but yeah, like it's just, it's an, it's a, it's an airtight movie. Like this movie, like uh, in terms of like, yeah, like the, the style, you know, the visual style and just kind of like the way, you know, uh, conversations happen and what, you know, when they stop and whatnot, it is like, there's a, there's a harshness to everything that kind of reinforces um, you know, the things that maybe I, I, I wouldn't trend to, but you know, I guess it's, you know, you're British, you know, you make movie about, you know, <laughs> British shit makes sense. <laughs> that is so true. Right. What you yeah. know, dog. <laughs> and speaking of writing what, you know, uh, it was Peter Greenaway's own drawings used for this and his own Ooh. hand even in the shots of him drawing, which I think we've talked about other filmmakers doing that, right? Like Argento, Argento with the knife. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. That, you know, the true artist knows. <laughs> uh, anyway, I think that'll probably do it for our conversation on the Drodsman's contract. I think, Malcolm, I guess you have picked for next week's Patreon, but uh, we'll talk about it later if you haven't picked one out. Yeah, I don't have it yet, but we'll, we'll, we'll get to it. We'll, we'll get to that. Uh, we'll see you next week on the main feed <laughs> for Cliff Walkers and Dishonor.